Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Your Own Personal Beatles. I, as always, am Jack Pelling. And I'm Robin Allender. Today on the show, we're going to be talking to a fantastic comedian and musician, Johnny White, really, really. And it's a bit of a different one from the last couple of episodes that we do go down a few sort of rabbit holes and there's lots of great chat in there that's, um, you know, quite tangential. Yeah. Um, and of course, lots of Beatles stuff in there too. Yeah, it's, it's a good chat. I think tangential is becoming the buzzword for the podcast. <laughs> I think, um, you know, it's fair to say that this, this could be our magical mystery tour moment, you know. Fans have been following <laughs> us and then they're like, what are they doing on Christmas Day? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think it's fair to say if you followed us thus far, I think you're kind of getting what the purpose of this podcast is. And so hopefully this will be a good good one for you. It's really It was a really funny chat and fun chat because we talked about a lot of different things related to music, but we talked a lot about memory and we talked a lot about, you know, the Beatles being these kind of very, very early... F- forming memories of music you know lots Mm -hmm. of people have said their first memories of music were the Beatles and uh, I think Johnny articulates that very well that slightly strange disorientating confusing scary experience of listening to the Beatles as a young child (laughs) it's really yeah it's really made me kind of reassess my most formative Beatles memories because it lots of this conversation did reawaken the fact that I was actually, I did actually react quite strongly and emotionally to some of the sort of darker stuff in there. So yeah. it's really interesting. And it's one that's been, we recorded it quite a while ago in lockdown. Um, and it's really been sort of swimming around in my head ever since. And it's also, I think, the most that I've laughed at doing one. Um, so <laughs> there's really some funny. really funny stuff in there as well. Lots of chat about Steve Albini for some reason. I suppose because we were talking about the production side of things quite a bit. So, yeah, some Steve Albini chat. There's some really good uh, controversial Beatles opinions, some of my yeah. favourite ones so far. Uh, mm. There's some some great, some great tangential quotes from uh, sort of Cormac McCarthy books and uh, Frankenstein oh, makes yeah, an appearance at the end. Yeah, makes gets a mention, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's not many roads we don't go down, so it's, yeah, it's really no, it's enjoyable. Good. So, I mean, before we get stuck in, uh, have you got anything on the agenda this week? Well, the first thing I wanted to do, I'm getting the guitar out again, sorry. Go get the guitar. Get the guitar. Because the whole thing with me talking about Strawberry Fields last week Mm. was I forgot to say the main thing that was brilliant about Strawberry Fields, which is that when you listen to the demo, the really early demo... On Anthology 2, I think. Yeah, on Anthology 2. Let me take you down, cause I'm going to Strawberry Fields. The bit where John Lennon hits that minor seven chord you can Mm. hear him enjoying how much he loves that chord yeah (laughs) strawberry fields you can feel the way that mood is changing from that major chord to that minor seven chord and that's the amazing thing you can hear him in that demo kind of filled with the joy of having written that change yeah you know what i mean yeah yeah it's so beautiful like the way he kind of um you can hear the way it's like that slightly it starts it's very classically lennon isn't it to start with a 
Let me take you down Like kind of positive upbeat melody to Strawberry fields You know, it's just mm. It's such a brilliant sort of sigh into I mean, And that's before it's even got this, That sort of descending glissando Which yeah. is the like, most alarming thing about that when you Definitely, to yeah it's, I mean, it's only a small detail in the song I mean, I mean that chord progression You know, the chords are very difficult and strange and unusual and go in all kinds of meandering directions but just that simple change from the major to the minor seven it, it, it just sums up that feeling of being slightly lost and confused in the dreamlike world dreamlike melody and uh, you know and the demo is just brilliant because you can hear him relishing that change you know yeah yeah <laughs> that's what's so amazing about it there's quite a few of those where you can hear the, how pleased they are themselves sometimes with paul it's like a kind of a turn of phrase or an internal rhyme that you th- yes you can tell definitely. that he's pretty chuffed with the amazing one i always think is eight days a week you can just tell how chuffed they are with that song they're just so geared up on that song aren't they you know yeah yeah i mean that's probably a lot of the sort of joyous I mean, some of those times that they, especially with George's kind of dominant sevens that he got quite obsessed with and that mm. are like the major hinge on of what loads of his work. Yes. But like they were discovering all of these kind of sort of more jazzy, more, you know, harmonically complex yeah. sort of ways of writing and stuff. And you can, yeah, you can hear the sort of adventure in them. Yeah, That's definitely. That's what makes them so listenable, I think. Yeah, and I think definitely when by the time you get to all things must pass i think almost every ha- you know almost every song on that has got it's a kind of beautiful major chord then diverting into some weird diminished chord you know he's kind yeah. of he, he seems to really harrison seems to relish those kind of changes yeah i mean he loves sort of he loves kind of crazy key changes a little bit like you know that the the way that those lennon melodies kind of meander off Mm. Um, I mean, even something that, like, you know, My Sweet Lord, which is ostensibly like a four-chord, kind of a gospel song, really, isn't it? Well, it is literally. But that does a, a, go off yeah. into sort of tangents, not unlike yes. some of the chats in this episode. Yeah, 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 definitely. The other thing I wanted to say was I just saw my friend um, Daniel Greensmith posted this online, which I thought was really, really funny, which is about Hey Jude. Mm-hmm. And I asked him if I could read it out on the podcast. So here we go. He said, there are two types of people who are so unspeakably awful that I would happily call for them to be put in stocks in front of a massive crowd and pelted with cat shit. One, the people who sing the better, 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 better. Right, okay, guilty. (laughs) After just one verse of Hey Jude. Oh, I see, right, okay. And the people who sing Hey Jude, 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 bit after just one na, 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 at the end of Hey Jude. And in my experience, it's usually the same person. (laughs) Uh, I just thought that that really made me laugh. It's brilliant. It's like kind of slightly showing off that you know the bits bit that's coming kind of thing. Yeah, and also just have a bit of patience. Like, yeah, you know, you know it's coming. <laughs> Singing along to the ad libs. It really and, wouldn't yeah. work if it was on every single verse. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, I enjoyed that. It's very, yeah. it's a very, very good observation. I was going to read a really nice review we got, which is <laughs> cannot fault this podcast at all. It's perfect for any level Beatle fan, and the guests are superb. Really, really enjoying it. So thank you, Brain Penis, for that one <laughs> on Apple Podcasts. What, what a great pseudonym. Yeah, brain penis. I mean, you'd have thought the other way around would probably be a more, um, you know, conventional penis brain. Moniker. Oh, God, yeah. do you think it's a sarcastic review? 
<laughs> I don't think so, no. Okay. Uh, so you never know, but, you know, as long as it's five star, it all counts towards the total score. So yeah. very yeah. pleased with that. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for the people who have left reviews and things. It's very kind of you, and it does help other people find the podcast. So if you do listen on Apple Podcasts or Acast or any other app uh, on which you sort of, there's a kind of metric of quality, then uh, do give us whatever the top denomination of the score is um it is really helpful and i know it's it's horrible to harp on about it but it does help us find new listeners so it's Mm. all good um and you can keep in touch with us uh on social media and by getting in touch by email like some of these lovely people coming up but we're on social media at personal beatles on twitter and instagram and facebook and all of that and if you want to email the show you can uh, go to personalbeatles.com forward slash contact or uh you can email me at jack at homespunsounds.com and uh yeah i got a couple of ones ones that particularly um <laughs> was interesting that arrived in the in the mailbox from last night from all the way from australia whoa um so there you go it's from uh, gareth libert i hope i'm pronouncing that right and he <laughs> has contacted us about sort of food related Be- beatles email and mm. says, uh, I have a suggestion for a topic you two could delve into on your show. The Beatles diets. It may give yeah. us some insight into why their hair grew so fast. So good callback to episode one there. Yeah. Um, My friend Holly also mentioned this as well, that the kind of hair growth might have been, yeah, uh, the, the diet must might have been a factor in the rapid hair growth of 68. Yeah, I mean, it is still a kind of unsolved phenomena. Yeah. Um, and he says, I know George loved his chocolate digestives in the studio and Yoko once stole some when he left. And John loved his chocolate Olivers, but mm. I would love to know what they preferred to eat for breakfast, lunch and dinner and yeah. all the snacks in between. Um, I don't know if that's a, like asking for our expertise there or if it's just a sort of hypothetical. <laughs> well, Ringo famously, famously, I mean, Ringo brought a suitcase of Heinz beans to Rishikesh, didn't he? I think so. Yeah, that's mm. true. Yeah. Yeah. And his hair didn't grow as much. Anyway, and then he lists, um, you know, a, a very generous amount of Beatles songs as kind of food puns. Oh, food puns. Okay. Um, so we've just read out some of them. Happiness yeah. is a warm bun. Norwegian mm. wood-fired pizza. Let it bean. Uh, please feed me. Uh, yeah. I want to hold your ham. And <laughs> then there's probably about 20 or 30 more. <laughs> Lovely. Um, um, which I won't read out all of them, but uh, yeah, if you've got if you, mm. a, if you know any uh, sort of Beatles uh, eating habit, yeah, <laughs> factoids. I mean, I'm just just trying to think of more now, know. you know. <laughs> um, I mean, in the day in the life, does he have anything for breakfast? I think he just has a coffee and a he has a cigarette, cigarette on the bus, doesn't he? Yeah, mm. yeah. So maybe he didn't eat breakfast at all, which is not recommended. Yeah. It is the most no. important meal of the day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what else is there in food? I mean, you got you got Savoy truffle, of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I'm sure there's some uh, semolina pilchards. I don't know. They don't mm. sound very nice. No. Um, a lot of the, especially dripping from a dead dog's eye. Yeah. Not recommended. <laughs> Christ, I was thinking that's a Shakespeare illusion, isn't it? Hamlet. Isn't there something about dripping from a dead dog's eye in Hamlet? There might well be. I mean, King Lear is the is the reference from Iron the Walrus that yeah. I know. Yeah, 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 of course, um, yeah. Untimely death. Yeah. So Hamlet. Oh, yeah. It's in the Hamlet. It's in Hamlet where Hamlet's kind of pretending to be mad or is actually mad. For if the sun breed maggots in a dead dog, being a good kissing carrion. Ah, Have you a right. daughter? Yeah. So I always thought. I mean, who knows? Did John Lennon read Hamlet? Maybe. Probably. Um, anyway, we'll crack on with the show. Um, hmm. 
And if you don't know Johnny White really, really his work, um, how would you sort of best describe him to the layman? Uh, so Johnny, Johnny White is a musician and a stand-up comedian from Sheffield. Uh, he's released music under the name of The Roller Coaster Project, Farewell, Prison and Christmas. <laughs> Uh, and as a comedian, Johnny has performed two brilliant and unique shows at the Edinburgh Fringe, Pigeons and Unending Torment, both of which are available on his Bandcamp page. So I describe Johnny's style as a kind of ambient comedy, meandering stories, floating punchlines. I once saw him read the entirety of Philip Larkin's poem, O Bard, on stage, only to shatter the mood by triggering a sample of smoke weed every day from the Dr. <laughs> Dre song. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and I think he, Johnny's just very interesting to talk to. He's very interested, very interested in music production. He's produced for um, Girlfriend of the Year, mm-hmm. um, which, which is a really good album. And, yeah, so this is why I thought it'd be good to talk to, because he's obviously interested in comedy and music, and I think the Beatles are very much in that Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, no, it's really interesting, and he's got a very good way of sort of explaining kind of sonic ideas on a uh, on a quite sort of visceral and emotional level. Yeah, so very that, personal, sort of subjective really way. I love the, the way he says the trumpet solo in Penny Lane felt like it was making fun of him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really good. That's really good. At the end, he does uh, reveal that he was a bit. He is a bit worried about uh, not being expert enough to be on the a Beatles podcast, but. We must reiterate that, um, you know, this this podcast, where we said before, is very much about our sort of emotional journey with the Beatles. And yeah. that's the kind of starting point. And no one is pertaining to be um, a Beatles expert because there are hundreds of fantastic podcasts that do that sort mm. of thing. Um, and we're more sort of interested in people hearing people's personal stories. And I think this yeah. episode does that really well. You can't get your own memories wrong, although you can. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah that's true. Know, but there's no one fact-checking them, so... Yeah. Um, so please sit back and enjoy Johnny White, really, really. So Steve Albini, the little—I yeah. don't. Uh, no, don't get me wrong. No. Are you going to get me wrong? Yeah, I'm going to try and get you wrong. <laughs> Steve Albini's written the objective way that you should use a gate. No, no, no what he's done is. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I trapped a bit of a. A4 paper using it under my... It doesn't, it's hard to explain. <laughs> um, Steve, you know, so, so you know, for example, all apologies. Yeah. Mm. You know when he sings, oh, when he goes up for the high, the, like the yeah. high notes. Yeah. Steve, I beat is a good thing. I don't, I think that he's annoying and the way he records is annoying, but, mm. and I don't like his stupid blog about food. It's awful. I, I, I've got but, a lot of problems with Steve Albini. Well, no, he's great. He's a he's very talented but man. He but he does the thing where it's so, so so it's like a gated gate activated reverb. So if you sit so when Kurt Cobain sings of like over a certain, I mean, you can do it with yeah. anyone. It doesn't just work with Kurt Cobain. <laughs> where, <laughs> well, David Bowie did this with Low, where he had a series of. Uh, yeah, so if you sing loud, it's, it yeah. activates the, the that sort of spring reverb. So that's yeah. why all oh, apologies has that sort yeah. of. It sounds great. But also, this, we've said this before. Me, me and you, have, Robin, have had this conversation. Well, I've definitely said this. Well, I've said this to everyone. Yeah. Uh, but what annoys me is that reading a CYB thing where he's saying the way he records the drums is the way that a drummer, he thinks, is the way a drummer would hear them. But why has yeah, that that's... ever been the rule? Like, imagine yeah. if Phil Spector yeah. had done that. Yeah, with exactly. the kind of Phil Spector Christmas album, it'd be awful. I mean, Steve Albini's whole thing is about capturing a band in a room, but some, sometimes 
I things want... can sound better than a band. Yeah, in room, right? I don't you want know, to capture like... a band. I've had enough of bands in rooms. Yeah, <laughs> my whole life's been. Bands there's a great in interview I heard with Steve Albini where he, because basically, you know who we're talking about, obviously Jack with yeah, Steve. Yeah, yeah. yeah, his whole thing is about capturing this objective reality. I'd say in recording, I mean, it's a great. I mean, he is a brilliant engineer. Yeah, but that, this whole thing is, he obviously hates artifice. Ugh. You know, and I once heard this interview with him where someone asked him if he liked Breaking Bad, and he said no because he didn't like actors. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're pre- pretending to be people What it not. is, I think, it's like a sort of... It's the American indie slash alternative... Anything that sprung out of hardcore, which is yeah. sort of like the incel boys with incel boy weird morality rules about yeah. stuff, which they leaked into... Technology, so this idea of reverb being immoral. Yeah, that's there, is, there are almost ethical judgments around Which it, aren't there? Absolutely yeah. bizarre. And like the thing yeah. where he's like, that people always share that letter he wrote to Nirvana where he said he yeah. couldn't sleep at night if he took if he took like percentage points on the album. It's like, well, that's yeah. just your that, yeah, that's, that's, just that's you fine, but like you you also don't worry if you do do that. Like, yeah. but that's you, like, it's, but, it's like judging people on. A moral standard that you have just created arbitrarily. (laughs) That thing about I really like with Heart Shaped Box, where I I think was Heart Shaped Box the one where they had to remix it to make it slightly more radio friendly. Yeah, have the vocals a bit higher in the mix. And Steve Albini said, "I don't understand it. I did everything I could could to make it sound as good as possible, (laughs) and just forgetting that good as possible is an entirely subjective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, he isn't God. He hasn't decided that this is objectively good." As good so as it can just, get. Yeah, this, and that guy Scott Little, whatever he's called. Anyway, so so this is is this about Steve Albini? <laughs> this <podcast? Yeah>. it's <laughs> quite it's quite a nice. Let's try and introduce you a, a bit. Okay. We can, I think we could include some of the Albini. Yeah, chapter. welcome to welcome. your own personal Albini. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jack Pelling and Robin Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So w- welcome, Johnny White. Hi, Johnny White. Really, really, really. Yeah, burst forth. How? What do the Beatles mean to you? And what's your first? The, I, when I was five, I got a guitar. And I well, I play, the first thing I played was was Wild Thing on one string on it, nice. um, which is just it, you know it's a, it's one four and five of the chords if you you play it in any key, mm-hmm. uh, and I got a record which was this unofficial Beatles it was like Beatles rock and roll. This has come up a lot, hasn't it? Yeah, really naff, times, naff yeah. cover. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Seventy-seven compilation. My, my nana, ah, uh, yeah, yeah, on tape. Yeah. yeah. And I, I remember my mum saying, "Oh, it's." A t- I remember my mum saying that the cover was a touched-up photograph, and not <laughs> and finding just that phrase really weird in my head for years. But it's not. It's a cartoon, isn't it? It's it's a, it's like a painted. It's a painting. Oh, right. Right. Well, the one I have was mm. like, I'll, I'll see if I could... I'll put it here, I think. Let's see if it's the one, because if it's the one, I'm going to I remember be... it kind of had a yellow frame around You'll it. You'll have a yellow. Ye- yellow frame if you're not careful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Oh, no, that's yeah, not there the you one go. I remember. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Mine was called Beatles Golden Oldies, actually. Twist and shout, still her standing there. Yeah, Can't do yeah. That. yeah. I want to be your man. Call your name, boys, long tall Sally. Wow. What I tell you what I had because I'm looking at it right now on yes, oh my okay, this is the one. So how do I sh- what do I do to show you how do I make you Hang on a second. Golden Oldies was released in nineteen sixty six. So it doesn't make sense. That's just not very golden. They weren't that old. They were only three years old then. Not the Beatles. <laughs> 
Um, That's insane. It was released as a stopgap between sort of Revolver and Sergeant Pepper. Sorry, carry okay, on, I want you to click on that link. Oh wow! Right, okay, that, that looks, looks kind of like, like so. This we're looking yeah. at the Beatles' rock and roll music volume one. That is the one I had, and it looks like it almost a or sort of Soviet-era East German kind of uh, artist impression of the yeah. Beatles there, I think. There's but that's sort of... what my mum was like. And that, you can see more, is, is, it is as my mum would say, is a touched-up photo. So Lennon's wearing his kind of Dylan-esque hat. We're sort of, this is about 65-ish, I'd say, we're looking at. With, I sound like I'm on the Antiques Roadshow. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, but can you have, have you look at that Beatles oldies record I sent through? Because oh, that's... Uh, so it's very Sergeant Peppery artwork. Beatles and this is the oldies. one I remember my, my nana having. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, so what songs are on that? So it had She Loves You, From Me To You, We Can Work It Out, all the way up to Yellow Submarine, Eleanor Rigby, Paperback Writer. So mental that they called it the oldies. Well, that's, they were early examples of what that... Whatever he called, whatever his name is, versus Retromania. What's that called? Oh, Simon Reynolds' is <laughs> yeah, yeah, Retromania. Yeah, yeah. instant uh, um, obsession with the past. Yeah, yeah, there you yeah. go. Um, so I had that. And also, even though I'm not from this far in the past, but I listened to my mum had Real to Real player. Wow. And I used to listen to Please Please Me on Real to Real. Amazing. This is when I was sort of like five, six. And and co- kind of coincided with the first time I saw Hard Day's Night. Wow. Uh, so it's very formative stuff, yeah. then, isn't it? Yeah, it, it was the thing that I wanted to do the most when I was very little was be in the Beatles. And I also right. didn't, obviously, because as a kid, I didn't understand the, the songs. But I didn't understand what recording was in terms of mm. multi-tracking as my like, six-year-old. <laughs> well, as a six-year-old, you didn't understand multi-tracking. <laughs> But so I thought they were recorded live. Right. So when I was listening to them when I was a kid, I could imagine that I could hear stuff going on in the crowds. Right. Like I don't have some almost like auditory hallucinations about what what like scuffles and so weird events th- that were going on at the gigs at these. Because so I did you think them. it was actually happening as you were listening to? Yeah, it? Yeah, I thought it was a recording right. of a live concert. Um, and then uh, I got given the. The tapes, the you know, the blue and the red tapes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there was a sort of because I was listening to those every night as I was going to sleep, mm. and would always uh, like get incredible, <laughs> get this incredibly sad image of. Have you ever been to um, Mill Hill? Uh, I think so. Like a big Sunday-ish suburb of of quite similar looking streets. When if I one the end of one of the sides, I think it <laughs> yeah. could have been the end of the last side, the blue side, or near the end was the long and winding road, and I used to get this image of <laughs> Paul McCartney, but in my head he was sort of like a bit like my teacher, Mister Hitchman, walking endlessly, yeah. walking around suburban roads in the sunshine, but one in a, <laughs> with a sad aspect, you know, like on how everything's sad on a Sunday. And it used to make me feel so sad that I wouldn't be able to fall right. asleep. And I'd have yeah. to turn the tape back on to the other side. Yeah, did you ever listen to tapes falling asleep, Jack? Did you ever... Uh, I did, yeah, a lot, a lot of audiobooks. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and a lot of Beatles as well. Oh, really? Um, and I still kind of do, actually, if I'm... Yeah, I'm I listen to music. Insomniac, so right. um, I try and do it, but... Uh, uh, it's that or absolute silence. And if there's anything between, it has to be a bit of music. I, I listen to 
Tubular Bells 2, Falling Asleep, and um, the Red Dwarf audiobook. And I thought you could say the Red Dwarf theme. Really loud. And uh, Victoria Wood, as seen on TV. We used to listen to that every night, Falling Asleep. Well, I, I've, I've always listened to story tapes. There was a turning point with... The, so there was a point where I was listening to the... I used to read the Faraway Tree books mm. Mm. and listen to the Beatles until I fell asleep. And then it became a turning point, and it was on Christmas Eve when I realised I couldn't didn't want to listen to the Beatles anymore because I had to listen to Just Speech because there was too... It's just a strange admission, but mm. there was too much scope with music to drift into my own thoughts. And, oh, and I wow. didn't And I didn't... I needed to be distracted from my thoughts in order to feel comfortable enough to sleep. So yeah. I remember there being a point where I was like, and that was must have been when I was sort of eight. And I've never, since then, I've never gone to sleep to music because it's, right, it's I, just too much my mind, my mind wanders too much. And then, mm-hmm. so I needed to be something that will actually distract me. So right. someone's speaking. Yeah, I find So then it was story tapes. And then there was the Storyteller series, which were these ones you got. I think they gave them away with the front of, some magazine, but I had the collection of them. It's like Richard Breyer's doing a small section of Heidi. That's not all it is. Mm. Uh, um, and then in 2011, I, I bought all of them on a DVD, weirdly, off on eBay. Mm. Um, so to see what would happen if I listened to the same stories tape that I did when I was a little kid as an adult. Yeah. And, the, 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 and then the results have been very successful. Well, the, fra- <laughs> the phrases of those kind of stuff you listen to at that age really sink in. Like, I remember there's a line yeah. in the Red Dwarf audiobook where they talk about a planet instigating an eight-day calendar. And that fr- I just yeah. find myself, that phrase would run through my head in the waking day, instigating <laughs> an eight-day calendar, and I wouldn't know Which why. one was it better than life? It was both of them. So it was the Red Dwarf, it was the Omnibus, oh, okay. read by Chris ah. When you started growing up and getting into more music, how did you kind of... Were the Beatles still a part of your listening habits and things like that? Um, the Beatles remained a part of my listening habits. I pretended to be ill on the day of my 11th birthday. And I was actually a bit ill, but I milked it and it was my mm. birthday. So, um, And I got the White Album uh, on CD. Wow, expensive nice. at the time. Yeah, yeah. So, so I was into that, but then simultaneously, it could have been my t- no, it wasn't my twelfth. It was my eleventh birthday. But by then, I was already because I had older friends and was already getting into sort of quite dogmatic punk through right. being into metal. Getting and then that, like it all became hardcore. Mm. So then the, I couldn't, I had to sort of pretend to not like the Beatles. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I had this mm. when I was a, a kid, definitely, where I was so into Nirvana that basically if and Nirvana, I became, like you say, very, and we're talking about that Albini approach of being quite kind of very puritanical almost about tastes, where I, I would get yeah. so into something that it wouldn't allow me to be into something else. So the fact that I liked playing football wouldn't equate with me being into Nirvana, so I just stopped playing football. <laughs> yeah, same here. I didn't understand how people could do both. Do both of them. Yeah, I was it really like that. Completely, yeah. It just seemed like... Yeah, it's bizarre. It's like, a, it's like I had a thing where I couldn't understand how people liked Pearl Jam and Nirvana at the same time. Yeah. And I, mm. I, this carried on until I was at university. So I, I like, mean, I still think it like that a bit. <laughs> really? Yeah, true. <laughs> <me too>, but... <laughs> 
Well, my, I didn't really get into. Well, I had a little dalliance with sort of hardcore music, but I was more into hip hop in my teens, mm. and I moved away in a similar fashion. And then until I got uh, Paul's Boutique, right, which is just uh, rammed full of uh, illegally done Beatles samples. Yeah, we were listening to, I was um, listening to Paul's Boutique, and then I was like, oh, okay, well, if it's fine for the Beatles boys, Beastie Boys to sample the Beatles, then yeah. the Beatles must be cool in the hip hop world. Yeah, so. yeah. Went back to it. Well, I'm, I'm also, I'm, I remember seeing a kid at school who was like a kind of a hippie, but wearing a Beatles T-shirt and feeling a sense of envy that he felt he was. I was like, oh god, I could have just, I could just still like it. Yeah, it's like you could have, <laughs> I could have just carried on playing football. You know, I was listening. Kind of, yeah. By that point, I was like, it didn't make it. I was like, my listening habits. I, they, it disturbed me because because uh, I, I was like, well, I sh- it shouldn't be possible to be into this disparate. St- Do you know if you see yeah. what I, I was? I was listening to the Beatles, so I'd be listening to the Beatles almost in secret to myself. Yeah, <laughs> but and then but then my but then also listening to I was feeling like ashamed a, slightly as well. Maybe. I was listening to a band. Uh, there was a band from Bradford called Unborn. They were like sort of a, sort of a vegan metal band. I got sent off for this. It's called Ancestral Pagan Roots. Good seven inch. Sounds a bit like really quite poorly performed no actually no it's it's not poorly performed it's like it sounds a bit like slayer mm, but they're right. screaming but it's like from the perspective of a witch being burnt at the stake i actually copied out the lyrics and presented it as original piece of poetry <laughs> which i'd done the year before with the beatles i'd really? done it with till there was you which i'd put till there was spring and sent it and given hand it in as a poem about the spring <laughs> but from one Isn't that year quite a romantic song though yeah, but so you're sort of in love with the spring. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so I sort of, <laughs> and there was also the this like, so like, and this is also like a sort of weird, like that. So that transition also it was another transition of I had an army jacket, and in the last year of primary school, like a German army jacket, mm. I painted a flower on it. Right, and then by the time I got to secondary school, I like crossed it all out and wrote "destroy" on it. Yeah. <laughs> but was the flower still visible? It was like all just sort of like lots of golden spray paint all over it to try and sort of like get rid of any. But then I still really did like it. Yeah, do you know what I, I mean? That. I remember when I went to university and I sort of had to put all my CDs out on display. I had the Blue Album by Weezer. And I was sort of ashamed of it, so I hid it behind the CD yeah. shelves. And yeah. like, even though I really liked it, I, was, I suppose you're worried that people might think come round and think it wasn't cool. It's like when mm. I've got my potted history of my own tastes with music. Yeah, it's like a sort of it's like Napoleon writing his own, you know, <laughs> biography. It's all like I've sort of like I I sort of. I've made it like a smooth transition, which I consider to be. Was, well, you mean you've edited your past? Yeah. Well, I've edited it to make so because it was it was all I was sort of doing all of it all the time and yeah. pretending to myself and to everyone else uh, in different groups. But the, this was but this was the thing that happened. I, I remember this as a teenager. And the, I mean, you wouldn't they would never admit to it, but you're absolutely obs- one was absolutely obsessed with being cool, really, or yeah. how how mm. cool you might appear. So these all these things all seem to matter like very deeply, and I think getting into Nirvana or, or music that felt politically charged, I suppose, not that Nirvana particularly is, but you definitely felt yourself identifying with mm. that kind of group and what they represented, I suppose, and and it made it like it really affected the way you thought about the world, I think. Yeah. So if yeah, in, yeah. in interviews with Kurt Cobain, where he said he hated jocks at school or whatever, 
I was yeah, like, oh, yeah, I can't to be play like, football like, now. <laughs> but then, because like, also then with punk, because so by the time I like got into hardcore, we decided that the Sex Pistols weren't punk because they were on a major <laughs> label. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so and I remember, and also I remember a discussion, a big discussion, but having enough money to be able to get a Gang of Four album, yeah. and being with my friend in Virgin Megastore and discussing whether we could buy it because it was on EMI and we didn't realize. Right. We're like, it's on a major label, but if we buy it together, we'll tape yeah. it. Like, so it'd be, there's so much dogma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, then, yeah. you know, and then in, in amongst all of that and all of that, like, kind of the sort of loathing that the different groups had for each other's taste. And I sort yeah. of liked all of it, apart from sport. I mean, it, I didn't like sport, but like it, all music and all culture, I was sort of into all of it yeah. secretly and in secret from all the different groups. To, to then, the idea in those days of then being at a party and suddenly putting on the Beatles yeah. <laughs> would have been completely unthi- like yeah, beyond right. unthinkable. So, beca- yeah. so from this thing that had been the the sort of beginning of me ever wanting to do music or yeah. be especially be in a band or like mm. uh, weirdly it's from the Hard Days Night film just like um uh, the uh. The first song that they were the song they were called for the um for the prac for for when they're rehearsing I, for the I TV. I should have known better, is it? Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. great song. That was that was I was like, that you know, from that to then being sort of a teenager and it being essentially like a sort of a secret that I kept for myself. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is so so, de- so depressing to have done that. with class at that age where I was like because I'd read you know NME or biographies of musicians and things and I just knew that it was incredibly uncool to be middle class <laughs> so I yeah, just was yeah. like I was, so, I was so like filled with a kind of weird self-hatred that not, nothing I could, could do could ever be of value because like I didn't grow up in rural Seattle or something. Well, my mum told me that hippies were posh. I yeah. remember being really shocked and appalled. Yeah, I was yeah. like, because it's like, yeah, that, yeah, I remember that being a, but yeah, um, yeah, I could never have grown up in rural Seattle. <laughs> yeah. I remember the, um, reading about a thing where Green Day, where were Green Day from? Were they Californian? California. Yeah. Where, the, where they grew up in the punk club. They, the punk, the club where they used to play, put up a sign saying Green Day would, would never be allowed to play here again after they signed to a major label. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, God, there was worse, worse yeah. yet to come for those disappointed uh, yeah, exactly. Green Day setup. Well, imagine just like, I mean, who cares, really? <laughs> like, the other day, um, I remembered uh, um, years ago going to a gig in Leeds and the Kooks. Some of the Kooks? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just when they got big with theirs. And um, someone that they used to know from Shropshire came up to them and said that they'd gone corporate and one of them started crying in the back room. Because <laughs> they're like old friends. I were going in there and one of the Kooks wow. was quite like... Kook crying. Um, 
Yeah, because you've been told that the kooks were corporate. But it's, it's so. I remember as well we're having a band practice with uh, the first time we got together, and it was with a couple of friends, just like two guitars and a bass or something. And, and in the first practice, we talked about whether we should sign to a major. League. <laughs> 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 like the first practice. I don't think we should. You know, I just you know, <laughs> you know, it's been amazing. I used to really hate the, the uh, trumpet solo on Penny Lane. Really? I thought it was trying. silly. I thought it, it looked like it was, I felt like it was. It was a bit twee. I felt yeah. like it was making fun of me for being into <laughs> like like I was really moved by it, and it's like there's this like someone from the army's come to make fun of me. Right. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. <laughs> Do you know, like... Um... I mean, it's so Paul, Paul McCartney. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. just... It's the kind of thing that we I think we were talking about this on another episode. It's the kind of thing that Wadden's dad would listen to and really admire because it's more kind of a classical kind of yeah. influence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that was and because of his childhood. I mean, his dad was a musician and he was a, a child trumpet player, I think, which is why he wanted that oh, okay. particular sound. Yeah. But yeah, it does sound and um, you know, it's um it's just those two records of Strawberry Fields and um and Penny Lane are just, they couldn't be more quintessentially Lennon and McCartney, yeah, yeah. Of, uh, respectively. Strawberry Fields has got great drums on it. I mean, that's, I'm not the first person to have, no, unless, you, unless no one's ever yeah, noticed that. Amazing before. drums. <laughs> Although, I mean, when I was listening to the new, in the new Sgt. Pepper, when they have the um, remixed versions and they have the two different takes that they mm. stitch together, yeah. the drumming sounds a little bit less. Uh, impressive without like being cranked up with very speed to like yeah well the reason it kind of fades out and fades in again isn't it because the drums went out of sync with the other part of the song didn't they Uh, okay yeah yeah. Talking about the sort of productions that you know, when you, I mean, you mentioned that you thought that the Beatles were actually playing live out of your stereo yeah. when you were younger. Well, I thought I could hear at the end of Hey Jude a bouncer throwing someone off the stage. <laughs> I used to imagine these huge things that were always quite 
scary. Like, right. let's imagine there being a lot of like violence that I could he- <laughs> I could sort of overhear. Mm. Very weird. When did I first what discover? When did you of- first get in? White- understand the idea of it being produced by um, lots of men in white coats in Abbey Road? Because my uncle, who's also called Johnny, uh, just as I am. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in, in very much the same manner as I am. Um, he, when I was in primary school, he had a sort of home, a little home studio set up and he got me a four track cassette recorder, which I still have. Nice. Um, and so from about sort of year f- six of primary school, I had in my room a four track cassette recorder a keyboard and they used to plug the keyboard just straight into the tape um and yeah from then sort of although i ne- I, I mean yeah i didn't i i, I lacked the uh offboard effects to mimic any of the beatles <laughs> i didn't accidentally you have a big leslie speaker <laughs> no, no. but that was those things that i always wanted to do like try and get vocal because i did obviously didn't know what uh, that ADT stuff is, you know, the like on the vocal, the vocal, the way the vocals sound yeah. on, like on a, artificial e- double tracking. Yeah, oh, on, it's um, when slightly out of phase. And you get yeah, on like on, a, I think on across the universe. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. I want. I would want to get try and get the well, microphone yeah, sound the, like the that. The stuff but. you've done with your own stuff, and also you've produced uh, girlfriend of the year material, and that is which is the production of that is really, really interesting. And the vocals are very heavily artificial, you know. Yeah. Steve yeah, Albini yeah. would hate it. And, but, that yeah, is a def- yeah. but that is definitely a Lennon thing, wasn't it? He wanted to, yeah. his voice to sound like it did in, like, Aunt Mimi's Conservatory, was it? Oh, or, right. Is that... Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he wanted the kind of echoey sound of where he used to sing. and Yeah. And um, there's a lovely bit in Retromania, actually, we are just talking about Simon Reynolds, where, you know, after Lennon left the Beatles and he wanted to go back to the kind of rock and roll sound and create very raw, simple mm. recordings. And he saw the idea that, well, Lennon didn't realise that those early Elvis records or Little Richard were still produced. Yeah. You know, but yeah, just yeah. in a different... You know, he, he thought of that as the kind of objective reality, but they were still produced, but just in a different way, you know. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And the uh, vocals on that rock and roll record are quite hard to listen to yeah i like so it. much of that slapback delay Slap, yeah the little very, that yeah. double track is just yeah. like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah another thing that used to because i was also very early uh i'm not early because they were they've been out for years <laughs> but amongst people i i had a walkman mm. from from like from year five that's it's weird that i is it annoying to bring in school years? No, it's fine. <laughs> so, no, okay. Contextualise it. So from the so from, so the from the second to last year, year five, aka the penultimate year of primary school. Right. Yeah. Third aka nineteen ninety three or four, I think for me, mm, sure. um, depending on how old I am. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, um, I had a Walkman, and I used to, you weren't supposed to bring it into. I used to sneak it into school and listen, yeah. and, and and lunchtime. I'd sneak back into the classroom and hide underneath the big pile of coats and listen to oh, all of it. I used to <laughs> hide under the pile of coats. I used to love hiding under that yeah, pile. I wish I, I wish I sometimes I wish I could live under that pile I of know. coats. I know. One time <laughs> me and my friends used to hide under the pile of coats. And one time the headmistress came in to the changing room 
and we just we were and started you know, embezzling we, funds that you could. <laughs> <laughs> but we just we were just we were stuck stock still under the coats, thinking we're about to be discovered, and we almost kind of stood up and confessed we we're under the coats. But she just walked away. It was an incredible oh, nice. moment. It was an incredible mm. moment. So I saw a Walkman. And I remember a very, an early thing that disturbed me about the Beatles from listening to it off, because I had had like a clock radio that had a cassette, which is just one speaker, so not much scope to analyse the the stereo (laughs) of of it. But listening to it on my headphones, that mad thing of panning the drums all the way. Oh, yeah, the hard panning, yeah. I mean, which is, I still think is... Like I think it's a sickening thing to do. Like that. <laughs> well, it's not actually something the Beatles would have signed off, is it? They signed off the mono mixes. Yeah, and then well, it would then, have gone to someone mm, else to. Well, really they should have been. Well, then Except they should Abbey have Road. been. Yeah, yeah, they should have sacked Abbey Road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, on, what song it, is that on? It's on loads. It's on um. Uh, it's on Penny. I think it's on Penny Lane. It's on loads mm. of that like that era, like mm. where the drums are all on what. If you listen to yeah, it on yeah, headphones. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. The right. drums so they are, don't or, doesn't pan from one ear round. Or to the like other. it's not drums no, should be you know the voices I mean, and basses. Yeah, on one yeah, side yeah, yeah. So so often I'd be listening to one because I'd be sneaking it around with my headphones mm. with wire at my sleeve. I'd often be like doing that one ear thing. Mm. Yeah, so I'd yeah. get like a bit of harmony and bass. And I think though, I I I can feel myself being so angry angry about that. <laughs> but uh, um, well, lots of Beatles fans say that you know the mon- the mono mixes are the. Well, I just want to see stereo mixes, but with the drums in the middle. That's yeah, well, you, you should listen to the remasters. The remasters are superb for that. Was that? Did they do that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm. Well, then they took my advice, but several years late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wish they'd seen sense but i suppose they weren't really thinking people didn't really listen to music on headphones did well, they? It was that such a new thing mm. that it was the the, the the whole idea of it was that it would be impressive to have the drums on one speaker and the voice on the other because yeah. it would be the i guess it would be the first time people would have a set of spe- i don't really know actually, i've always because uh, i don't even have a monitors i just what? i do I don't have studio monitors for mm. music. I do all you mix on headphones. Yeah, I, uh, I do yeah, quite yeah. A lot of mix. But I have, and I've got is... tinnitus as a result. But... Oh, really? Well, Steve but Aldini it... would probably despise you for mixing. He headphones. would despise me, yeah. and rightly so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> but um, but no. So yeah. So anyway, it's a hard, yeah. yeah. So I think hard... the only time that they ever recorded specifically, like the drums were properly mic'd up for stereo, was in the end. <laughs> Is it in really? The, yeah. yeah. So it was a bit, a bit like, come on, you've done. Yeah. You might as well have just not either done it earlier or not bothered. But yeah. that's interesting, isn't it? Because what 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 makes Pet Sounds such an amazing record sonically is the mix, isn't it? Which is yeah. a mono mix, and it's mm. just beautifully layered. You know, you've just got this one channel, and it's just if you need to hear something, it needs to be on top of something else. So there's this just lovely. Have map. you seen that um, clip in the George Martin documentary where he goes over to see Brian Wilson and he's like, so I thought we'd go and have a look at the old original four track. <laughs> yeah. And he's sort of playing around with the faders, still describing all of the individual parts or whatever. And then he just sort of, in, out of force of habit, makes his own kind of mix out of it. Mm. And you just see Brian Wilson's face drop. <laughs> really? Um, why, and he's like, why are you, what, do you what, what's wrong? And he's basically like, 
you've just done a better mix. You've just made a better mix of God only knows. Like, no, <laughs> no, I did. Yeah, I'm really annoyed. <laughs> Brian Wilson was so self-deprecating, wasn't he? He was just completely yeah. crippled by self-doubt, wasn't he? So was, I, 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 I had a good. Um, a, uh, I can't remember what it was. It was like a coterie of videos that I would watch. That were pop- it's like half an episode of If I Got News For You and a bit of Top of the Pops. <laughs> like, you know, there's stuff and there's one that was yeah. like a bit of a documentary about the Beatles. And even I remember even at the time realising that, you know, there's a bit about um, uh, Lucy and Skyward Diamonds where George Martin's like told, was recounting that people had told him that it was about drugs. Mm. And he was he was like utter utter rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> Even then, I was like, I, I knew the boys smoked pot, and they equally knew I, I disapproved. Yeah. <laughs> he does seem like a nice nice man. Do you think oh, he yeah. did know? And he was just saying that as a sort of just a sort of a kind of. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Do you think? Well, the whole he was thing just... was so new, wasn't it? Like, I guess he wouldn't. Know but do you think by now? Was... But not by now, because oh, I by mean, now. Yeah. Do you think by then he knew, but he was still, he just, just didn't want to rat him out still? Yeah. Oh, well, still think, but they always it. maintained that that song had There's nothing. A, I mean, it was obviously influenced a by drawn the effects by, of it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah it's one of Julian's pictures or whatever. But that seems yeah. ridiculous that it would be. I mean, it's but a I mean, big even, coincidence even that someone who's taking LSD every yeah, day. Like at the time. <laughs> and the song is just so almost like a cliche of an acid yeah kind of vision, and it's just it? the thing where even if it even if he had done the picture and yeah. it was called lucy in the sky with diamonds yeah it w- it seems it's like the idea that it wouldn't he wouldn't have noticed that it's about lsd and that wouldn't have been it might it's like it's like a weird it's like it doesn't really cover your back mm. like as in even if that's true that that picture exists yeah it was still because it was spelled lsd that that was used as the title of obviously right <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. I, it must have been you yeah. would think yeah you would, i mean he may, was just like a sort of posh old dad that was very naive yeah. so maybe he just or maybe he just completely separated the two yeah yeah <laughs> One thing I really dislike about Sergeant Pepper is the way it feels like they were, you know, the real swats in school at that stage, and that it feels like a, a, a school project done by. Do, do, do you ever get I, that feeling? Yeah. Like, like, um, <laughs> benefit of Mr. Kite just feels like. Oh God! Yeah, yeah, know, it's, yeah. It's, it's crap. That is lame. Well, no, it's not. But do you know what I mean? It feels like they're the um. Well, the I, I, head, I, what do you mean? Like in a school, kind of that they've kind of. It's just a bit too. Well, there's something almost academic. What do you mean about they tried it. too hard. Yeah, they tried too. They should have tried less hard. <laughs> well, that's no, why I, you like the white album because the yeah. white album is just a mess of people on yeah. drugs that hate each other. <laughs> yeah. No, but I. I mean, I love Sergeant Pepper, but yeah. things I don't like about it, where it almost seems like it's a kind of academic exercise. So Lucy in the Sky is an example where it's like, it's so, like a kind of. It's too pitch perfect of an acid trip kind of thing. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, mm. I, I don't. I also don't like it when they say, "And tonight, Mister Kite is topping the bill." It's like, yeah. great. Why is why why is why are you landing on that? <laughs> I don't care what he does. Um, yeah. I like the way he says tense. He, he, I don't know if it's deliberate, but he says Somerset instead of Somersault, doesn't he? Yeah. 
Of course, Henry the Waltz don't, Horse Dances the Waltz is one yeah. of the great internal rhymes of... Uh, yeah, of course, Henry the Horse. Yeah, yeah. That is good. <laughs> do you want to guess what my favourite song of Sergeant Peppers is? Is that a fun game? Yeah, yeah, it is. Is it Fixing a Hole? No. Is it She's Leaving Home? It is. It's yeah, an yeah. amazing yeah. song. Yeah. Oh, damn. I was hoping that would be... Uh, I can't remember that, who it was who said it, but it might have been like... Margaret was it me? Drabble. It, was it my might have been you. <laughs> just that. I think it, was, uh, it might have been Margaret Drabble said how amazing it was to hear a song with the word clutching in it. Clutching yeah, yeah. handkerchief, you know. So that, used to, that used to give me a very powerful... It, I think probably around that time... It, it mixed up in my mental image of Adrian Mole, where Adrian Mole lived. Mm. So I had an image mm. of his house... Which you, I mean, it doesn't that doesn't mean anything because that's also just my image in my head. Yeah. But I could really picture the seat that that, and I listened to that. Um, she's leaving home. I listened to. It's very uh, evocative, isn't it? I, yeah, I definitely I had an image in my head of the house and the, yeah. the mother and the father. You know. Yeah. I think it's great, and the bye bye. That's kind end, of I why is... I guessed it as because uh, you obviously had a very kind of cerebral reaction to those um, soundscapes and stuff in the same way that I did. And that is the one. That's the one that I remember first, and also it is my favourite track of that record. Oh, yeah. nice! If you, I think if you grew up as a, as definitely as a kid, it was like, you know, this is a new type of thing. Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah. Story storytelling, and yeah, yeah, I remember listening to it really loud, and my parents. Uh, little record player that used to have down and my dad I, I played it about four times in a row and then um I wanted to record it on my tape mm. thing I had a little um recorder thing with a little microphone and I was going to take it back to school with me because I obviously couldn't carry the music around and then it's just got at the end my dad going will you shut those fucking scousers up <laughs> <laughs> that's great um, so that, that probably still on that tape somewhere that's amazing <laughs> Uh, so one of the questions that we ask everyone on the okay. podcast, Johnny, is uh, do you have a controversial Beatles opinion? I mean, it also, this isn't even controversial it, it, at all. It, I, find, I hate it when people who don't know what, what they're talking about say that Ringo Starr's not good at playing the drums. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. that's I, kind I, of like... That hasn't I come mean, up yet. I would have thought that would be a there's common There's so much one. kind of... It's one of those uh, things where there are so, so many... It's so boring and lazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, people who say that should have their human rights taken away from them. But don't put that in But No, I don't really think that, but I think they should at least be given a... I don't mm. know. A fine, a £2,000 fine. (laughs) It's an interesting thing because you're basically saying either I'm very stupid or I don't know what good drumming sounds like. So you've either heard it and you've decided it's not good drumming, in which case you're objectively wrong, or you're just (laughs) saying someone else's opinion um, because you've heard it somewhere. Recycling that misquote of the John Lennon Ringo not being the fourth best drummer in the band, which he, he never actually said. And do also, do... it's like... Paul McCartney is a better drummer than Ringo, though. Also. <laughs> I don't know, man, because I don't really like... He plays drums on While My Guitar Gently Weeps, doesn't he? Uh, dear Paul McCartney does. Uh, and I yeah. think Paul... they... I don't think that sounds good. Anyway. Well. But the, do you know you know in uh, Blood Meridian, um, uh, Paul, Paul Cormac McCarthy, McCarthy. Yeah. there's, uh, <laughs> there's a line a where... <laughs> there's a bit where the kid near the beginning meets some old prospector I can't really remember the ins and outs of it he stays in a tent with them overnight and in the night he wakes up and the guy's like laying over him anyway that doesn't come up in it 
But he says to the something like, what kind of a world is this to the prospector about mm. the state of reality and the prospect so what world does a man know which is which suits him better mm. uh and that when people say about Ringo Sabi it's like what you think there's a better version of the Beatles <laughs> yeah that's true do you know that could have happened mm. like they would have been no if it, if only he'd been better at it would have been it was like would have been different <laughs> then so what are you talking about like yeah I think, like, the thing, it just stems from doesn't it like in the when they were around and Ringo was just the, the you know played the fool didn't he and he was the kind of you know, the clown of the band. So I think the reputation that he was a bad drummer stemmed from the fact that he was just the, the kind of clown of the group for yeah. whatever reason. Mm. And, you know, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of a, a daft thing to say. But you only need to listen so to, like, those first records that they ever played with him compared to the Pete Best ones, who was a sort mm. of serviceable but unremarkable yeah. drummer. Yeah. There is something in the way that he pushed them along and his, like, it's just such idiosyncratic yeah, drumming. Definitely. Yeah, so rhythmically like free that mm. it allowed the, the band to work and at the end of the re why if anyone it's impossible to answer the question why the beatles so good is but the if there is an answer it's because they're an amazing band that played yeah. together unlike yeah. anyone ever yeah mm. and he was at least 25 percent of that so yeah yeah you can't really remove him from the equation no. i don't like uh, paul mccartney's um violin bass no, I, we said that. Yeah, I think yeah, it looks, yeah, looks stupid. <laughs> I think that Wilfred Bramble's really good in Hard Day's Night. He is, he's brilliant. I'd rather kill myself than make a point about anything. But, <laughs> like, yeah. think about the where they are. You know the guy in the train carriage at the beginning? Yeah. Mm. And uh, he's like, I, I fought the war for your sorts. And Ringo's like, mm. I bet you're sorry you won. Imagine yeah. someone being about the Second World War about now. It's horrible, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. But like, it's the now. It's like, you know, all this this world of poppies or whatever. I know that was. Yeah. The, do you know? But yeah, I know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I, do you yeah. know? Does that make any sense? If yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's definitely more precious to a generation that never fought in it to the people that actually yeah, did. Yeah, it would have been. A, I guess it, that would have been quite a, an extremely cheeky inappropriate remark at the time yeah. but now oh, it would be strictly so cheeky he could yeah. do his thing <laughs> now it would be strictly verboten I think yeah have you, have you seen the um, video for the Paul McCartney solo song Queenie Eye from about yeah. four oh, years ago yeah Johnny Depp in it Ooh. it's terrible isn't it wow that's great man yeah give that <laughs> if you give yeah if it's been a while <laughs> shove that on <laughs> I, quite, I don't mind the song though to be honest yeah oh. no it's also okay but I, mean, I don't it's, like it. Is it Johnny Depp sitting by the piano? Am I thinking of the Yeah, one? and it sort of yeah. slowly fills up with horrible ghouls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's like James Corden does like the drums. Do, do, do oh, air drums. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, yeah. It would be Corden. <laughs> yeah. Corden blur. Deary me. Corden. Yeah, Corden I think that, that carpool karaoke is one of the most uh, upsetting things I've ever seen. It's terrible, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I hate the way, the worst thing about it is when he locks eyes with his guest when they sing a harmony. When he locks the car door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what he, they get in and he locks the car. You're, you're not going anywhere. It's so horrible. Oh, but do you know what I mean? When he sings the harmony and that he locks oh, eyes yeah. with the person. Yeah, and you can tell in his head he's thinking... Maybe I am the new John Lennon. Yeah. <laughs> but can I make what I say now a matter of public record? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. If I was listening to this and I was big a Beatles fan and I listened to him, I think that person you just had on didn't know anything. 
Why yeah, do you have him not, on? It's not about. I know, I mean, it's not a history podcast. We're not interrogating. Um, I know, but I, I know, but I, I don't want. Uh, do you think? Do you think people are going to think that I'm so stupid that I'm evil? Well, they'll know that at the quiz at the end. Uh, oh, good. Okay. Is that <laughs> no, there isn't really a quiz. Can I, can I just repeat <laughs> no, that? No. He, said, he said, "Will people think you're so stupid that you're evil?" <laughs> I just don't want them to. So no, if you're listening to evil, if you're listening to that and not, that's what you think, I already think it's so. <laughs> yeah. So don't think that you, you're not in surprising your me. There's a brilliant bit in um, in Frankenstein at the end. I've been reading Frankenstein this week because I was teaching it. Um, can I just read you the bit at the end about Frankenstein apologising? And it's so yeah. funny because it sounds yeah. exactly like. It's such a shit apology. <laughs> Bear in mind the Frank, the monster. Sorry, not Frankenstein himself, but the monster. Oh right, okay. Yeah. So the monster has killed a few people by now, and this is <laughs> the end. And this reminds me of you, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> Which one am I? I'm Frankenstein. Yeah, but that's no, not the monster. the monster. I'm the yeah, monster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh my god, it's true that I'm a wretch. <laughs> I have murdered the lovely and the helpless. So this is about you, Johnny. I have strangled the innocent as they slept and grasped to death his throat who never injured me or any other living thing. I'm so. Um, that's you. You hate me, but your abhorrence cannot equal that with which I regard myself. So there you go. That's, there you go. That's, that's, you. that's what I want to say to everyone out there. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. That's yeah. It. You hate you've... me, but your abhorrence cannot equal that with which I regard myself. Yeah, so don't even, don't even try to match the levels, because you will, yeah. won't succeed. You will not succeed. <laughs> so that was Johnny White, really, really. Um, I thought that was amazing. I hope you didn't think he was evil. No. Uh, <laughs> he's definitely not. He's a very nice man. <laughs> I hope you haven't ended up in prison because of his... Uh decree that if you think Ringo is a bad drummer you should go to prison is that what you think <laughs> yeah, I think that's I completely agree yeah yeah um no it was good stuff I mean yeah. there was so much great stuff in that um episode that we had to edit out which was a, a bit of a shame but it was yeah. it was quite a long one and you know maybe one day we'll have some kind of vault where you can find these unedited ones um but yeah I mean it was really great fun thank you for Johnny to doing it and we should just want to do one more plug for his podcast Lunch Watch which uh, is made by Hattrick Productions and is available now and is very very funny slash weirdly relaxing and also you should check out his Bandcamp page, which has um, both of his Edinburgh shows on there. It's johnnywhitereallyreally.bandcamp.com. Great stuff. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Um, if you want to support the show, uh, please do remember that, you know, we do have costs to cover and stuff. So if you're feeling incredibly generous, then you can go to personalbeatles.com forward slash donate and uh, chuck us a couple of quid so we can sort of keep making these episodes. And you can also rate us. That's really helpful on, um, you know, give us a five star rating on uh, iTunes or whatever it's called now, Apple Podcasts. And we'll be back next week with another really great episode featuring uh, keyboard player and musician Christian Madden who uh, plays keys for Liam Gallagher's touring band and uh, recorded lots of records with him, as well as uh, lots of other amazing artists. And he's a massive Beatles fan, so that one was really fun. Yeah, it was great. Really nice to chat to Christian. I used to play in a band with him uh, a few years ago called The Revival Hour. And so, you know, I'm only one degree away from Liam Gallagher. So, you know, I'm basically in Oasis. Giggsy or whatever he's Yeah. I have a theory with Oasis that they went downhill after the first drummer left. Uh, Tony McCarroll. Tony McCarroll. Tony McCarroll was such a kind of 
let's say straightforward drummer. Yeah, but well, it, I think that's why he was sacked. <laughs> yeah, but that's why it worked because it almost had the kind of motoric kind of just groove. Yeah, you know. I think like... then um, Noel Gallagher got rid of him because he said he got a case of lazyitis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, I digress, though. Christian was lovely to chat to. Really nice to get some kind of technical knowledge. Lots of good chat about Billy Preston. Yeah, and Nicky Hopkins as well. And, yeah. Uh, he's fantastic. And we'll we'll play a bit of his cover of Eleanor Rigby as well, which is yes, absolutely that's great. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so lots to look forward to. So thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with Christian Madden. Cheerio. Your Own Personal Beatles is presented by Jack Pelling and Robin Allender. The podcast artwork is done by Morgan Ritchie. It's produced by me, Jack Pelling, and is a Homespun Sounds production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.